Church, this will age me just a little bit, uh, but the example that I want to share with you this morning, I actually witnessed firsthand at the movie theater. How many of you guys remember the Rocky series, you know, like Rocky 1 through like Rocky 12,000, whatever it is at this point? I saw the first one at the movie theater, so that goes back a ways. And, and literally, there, there was a theme throughout the Rocky movies that was always the same. Rocky would take a pummeling, and somehow in the end, he would come back and win. But there was one of those movies in particular. You may remember this. Rocky has taken his standard beating, and I'm talking about, man, he is getting mashed really good. And his manager, Mickey, who, who was also one who viewed Rocky like his own son, he, he, he could see the damage Rocky was sustaining. And he picked up the towel, and he was about to throw the towel in. And y'all know what that means in boxing, right? Like if you throw in the towel in boxing, what happens to the match? It stops immediately. It ceases. And so Mickey picks up the towel, and he starts to throw it, and Rocky makes eye contact with him as one of those dramatic Hollywood moments. And he looks at Mickey, and he said, no, Mick, don't do it, you know, the best way that he could is as he's bleeding profusely. Mickey doesn't throw in the towel, and y'all know how the storyline goes. Miraculously, Rocky comes back, and he wins the fight. But here's what I want you to think about this morning. There are some times when we should throw in the towel. And you're like, oh, my word. Pastor's going to give us when to quit message. Not exactly. Uh, Because this is really not about when to quit, but it is sometimes about when to do it differently or change strategies or move on. You notice this idea of moving on. As we're working our way through our spiritual journey, as we're working our way through the book of Acts, we get to a text where Paul finally makes it to Corinth, and and obviously you know his time in Corinth must have been pretty impressive because he stayed there long enough to write two different letters later. So, So he goes to Corinth, plants a church, does some work, writes 1st and 2nd Corinthians later as he sends it back to those churches. So obviously a lot of prominent work. But you're going to find out something for the very first time that we see in Paul's missionary journeys, he actually walks away from something. He actually quits. Literally, he throws in the towel, per se. But remember, he doesn't stop what he's doing. He just changes how he is doing it. And this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to focus on this thought, this idea that we may need to know when to throw in the towel. Now, in context of this passage, it could be I may need to stop trying to argue with this individual about faith issues. It may be you need to stop arguing with your neighbor about your political issues uh, because that's coming. But, but it may mean something to do with relational, it may be educational, vocational. There's all types of things that we can look at with this scriptural principle and come to some conclusions that sometimes we need to walk away from certain things. And, and, and what I want us to do today is take this example of Paul and understand the context of it, but see how God being sovereign, not just in my witnessing episodes, but in every aspect of my life, also wants me to apply biblical truth in all things over which he is sovereign. So, so I want you to think through with us th- this morning. I want you to focus on this idea of throwing in the towel, but not the way it means in boxing, not not it meaning there's the end and there's nothing else going on, but throwing in the towel maybe in order to change directions or do it a little bit differently. So let's pray together and let's get ready to study these first 11 verses of the book of Acts. Father, we love you and we thank you again for giving us a chance to come into this place to to give you worship and always remind us of that, Father, that Lord, why we are here is to not be impressed with singing, it's not to be impressed with teaching, it's not to be impressed with what each other are wearing, Father. It is to come here in this place to be impressed with you. And Father, as we are impressed with you and your glory and your grace and your mercy and your love and your righteousness and your holiness, and that list could go on infinitely. 
Remind us to give you the praise of which you are worthy, where you tell us in Luke chapter 2 that if we refuse, you will actually cause the rocks to cry out in our place. God forbid that your people would ever be found so lax, you would have to find other worshipers to take our place. Father, we worship you in this moment. Help us to worship you now with our attentiveness. Help us to be focused. Father, give us the gift of wisdom and clarity as we look at this text. Father, to see it in context, but Father, to take that same context, understanding your sovereignty over all things and how then a biblical principle can apply to many facets of our life. And so, Father, I pray again, you would give us that wisdom to understand. For, Lord, in that wisdom, we will then walk out of here today with a new tool of helping us to become more Christ-like. And, Lord, that is the greatest form of worship ever, us moving forward, us moving on in our spiritual journey and moving toward Christ Jesus and his character. Give us that wisdom. And, Father, for that, we will praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would look with me, chapter 18, we'll start there in verse 1. Luke, let's go ahead and go to the map slide because that's going to kind of catch us up with this first couple of verses. After this, he, the he in question is Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth. Okay, stop there for just a minute. Let's catch you up. So we're in Athens right up there, Achaia, Aegean Sea, goes the 50-mile journey over to Corinth, and it says left, and that sounds like he just kind of left, like he just walked off and went 50 miles. That's not the word in Greek. The word in Greek is chorizo, and chorizo actually means to divorce or separate. So when Paul left Athens, it was very intentionally. This wasn't just a random, hey, it's time for me to move to the next town. This was something he experienced there was so bad that literally he separated. Like emotionally, spiritually, Paul divorced that area. Meaning, I'm not headed back there anytime soon. And so when Paul left, he left. His intent was to be someplace different. Obviously, he lands in Corinth. You know that he does something significant, as I mentioned very early, because he writes two letters back to that church. And so this is the beginning of that journey for him. He found there a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Um, I tell you what, Luke, do me a favor. Go two times, one more time. All right, so, so let me show you this, and then we'll back up a slide so you can see the area wherein they were doing and carrying out their vocation. So he meets these two people. He meets Aquila and Priscilla. It says that they were there. They were in Rome when Emperor Claudius, and if you want to go back and do your history, Emperor Claudius was a real dude. Uh, he was in Rome. And, and here we have some biblical writings that tell us that in AD 49 to 50, he kicked all the Jews out of Rome. Now, remember, Judaism was not illegal. It was legal. And so he kicked out a legal religion, but the writings outside the Bible tell us the reason he kicked them out is because they were making such a fuss over this one named Christus, C-H-R-E-S-T-U-S. Well, that turns out to be Latin for the word Christos in Greek, which is the word for Christ or Christ Jesus. So what appears is this, the Jews that are there in Rome have gotten word about this guy named Jesus back in Jerusalem, and they are not really pleased, and so they're causing all this stuff to be stirred up. And then this guy here, Claudius, goes, "Uh uh-uh, not here where I leave, get out. And literally within one year, he kicked out thousands upon thousands of Jews. And so that's how Aquila and Priscilla land in Corinth, because they've been booted out of Italy. And so Paul then runs into them. So let me give you a picture. Go back one time, Luke. Give you a picture of where these folks are serving. 
Down there in the valley next to the bay, that is what we call the New Corinth. That is where the New Corinthian city is located, so it's absolutely gorgeous. Where Paul would have been hanging out with Aquila and Priscilla was right here in this spot, though, on top of the hill. So the second picture looking down on top of the hill is the old Corinth. You see some of the remains there, some of the remnants. Uh, A very developed, civilized city. A very large population center, unfortunately, a whole lot of pagan God worship there, just like it was everywhere else. And so even though Paul found himself in these beautiful places, they were very, very lost. And so this is where this story is taking place, so do understand, it's a real, real place. Verse 3, and since they, so Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla, were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. Okay, Luke, I'm going to bounce you around again. Here we go. All right, top right corner. When we talk about tents, we're not talking about tents that you make for the kids to sleep in in the backyard. We're talking about a house. These people were still very mobile because of their, all of their animals and their herds. And so when they made tents, we're talking about they made dwellings in which to live in all weather types. And so this was some serious thread work. This was some serious tanning of leather. Most of these were made out of leather that they had to soften and make them where they could resist all the weathering. And so, so Paul shows up, and do understand, this was quite common in the Near Eastern culture for you to travel into an area. They didn't have hotels. You do understand that. There, there were very few places who had inns or hotels. And so you would travel into a place, and you would try to find somebody with whom you had something in common. Religion tended to be it. And so he found these two Jewish Christians, Paul was a Jewish Christian, and he ends up talking about tent making, and virtually here's what happens. He went to work for them, and then they put him up and fed him. So so here's how Paul's going to exist. He's going to build tents for them. They're going to let him stay with them and also feed him. Now, in our culture, in the American culture, we're not wired quite the same way. It is very unusual just for a stranger to drive into town and say, hey, I'm a Christian, Justin, I want to move in with you and I'll do your yard work. Uh, honey? And the answer is no, right? I'll, no, I'm just kidding. She's far more generous than I am. But, but it's one of those deals where that's just not common in our culture. You do understand in the Near Eastern culture, they prided themselves on hospitality. Even if you had a different religion, they were by law to be hospitable to you. And and so Paul has moved in with this Christian couple. He is working. Now, because he's working every day, though, that means he's not getting to preach every day. And the Bible, believe it or not, actually reflects that. Verse 4, he reasoned in the synagogue. Now, remember, that was his strategy. I'm going to show up in every town. I'm going to seek out the Jews first because we have the Old Testament in common. So when I talk about Messiah, they're not lost. They know what I mean by Messiah. Now, what they don't know is Jesus is that Messiah, but at least they know the Old Testament prophecy. So my strategy is I'm going to start with the Jews first. You do understand that's the pattern all throughout the New Testament. Gospel came to the Jews first because that was God's first chosen people and then moved to the Gentiles. That's exactly what Paul did. He's just employing the strategy God would have had him do. He reasoned with them every Sabbath. So get this, one day a week, he's working the rest of the time. He's only getting to teach. He's only getting to argue, so to speak, or reason one day a week, and he tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. Don't miss this. The word persuade is not just, I'm trying to change your mind. It's the word pitho, and what Luke is recording is how salvation actually works. Paul is the source of information, so he reasons, meaning he, he takes Scripture and explains it. I told you last week, you need to be able to explain what you believe. That was the challenge. Paul knew what he was 
believing in, and he was able to explain that, and then pitho would happen. Remember, that's the word that means trust and obey. So Paul, all Paul does is explain what he believes, and then God takes over. Because Paul's really not trying to persuade them. Paul is trying to educate them. God then persuades them. Because the word pitho, trust and obey, you and I cannot do. Y'all listen to me. I can stand up here in front of you, teach you every book of the Bible, verse by verse, and let's do it all straight through, and I still can't make you know it or apply it. I cannot make you do that. I can read you the gospel story over and over and over again, but I can't make you believe it because that's not my job, nor yours. Nor was it Paul's. Paul never converted a single individual. I have never converted a single individual. Only God can save people. And so that's what this text is saying. Paul shows up and does his part. So here's my strategy. I'm going to where the Jews are because they know the Old Testament. Now I can talk about Messiah and I can talk about prophecy and we've got some common ground. Then God, you've got to do your part. And so that's exactly what Paul was actually doing. He goes and employs his strategy and he waits for God to do his. Verse 5, though, our strategy is going to change just a little. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to the preaching of the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. So notice kind of how their, their, their strategy worked. All right, so, so Paul's really our teacher guy. He's kind of our evangelist. He's our preacher guy. Well, he's gone ahead of the first two to kind of test the waters, but he's having to work because he's got to have a place to stay and got to have some food. So he's only getting to teach one day a week. His two buddies show up, Timothy and Silas show up. Notice what happens. Paul then starts teaching every day while those two guys start working to support his ministry. You do know that's kind of how we as Southern Baptists do our missionary, same way. You're here in our church and you give some money and that money goes and part of that goes to the cooperative program. You give to GIC, part of that goes to to our Lottie Moon offering, which means we collect money here so our missionaries can be there doing the work. Well, believe it or not, that's exactly what Timothy and Silas were doing. They went with Paul so they could work and then let him, let him do all the preaching stuff. And so they were kind of the mini church walking around with Paul. They were kind of funding his ministry. And so here he is testifying to the Jews. Hey, don't miss this. Uh, when you and I think of testimony, we think of courtroom shows. You know, swear to tell the truth, they don't even do that anymore in most courts. Uh, they just have you sit down. And, and so he's testifying. Well, that's not really the word here. It's the word that we would typically translate as warning. And so I'm really surprised that, that the Christian standard didn't use that term because it's a term that means to warn. Please hear me. If you only tell people about Jesus as a loving God, but you don't tell them about Jesus as a judging God, you're lying to them. You're only giving them half-truth. Jesus is love, but Jesus is also judgment. The greatest mistake we could ever make as a church is to stop talking about the penalty of sin, the reality of sin, and also the reality of hell. We don't want to scare people into heaven, but we would sure like to scare them out of where they're going if they don't go to heaven. Because here's what Paul said, I'm going to warn you Jews about who Jesus is. He didn't just tell them who Jesus was. He warned them about who Jesus was, pointing out to these same people who are going to hate him, he's going to come back and judge you too. You're going to come under his righteous judgment. So the worst thing we could ever do is take judgment out of Scripture. Y'all remember, we just studied last week. What was one of the purposes of the resurrection? To provide evidence of what? Judgment. Not life after death. One of the purposes of the resurrection by God of his son Jesus was to provide evidence of the judgment. So the worst thing we can do is take judgment out of the scriptures. 
Yes, Jesus is love, but he loves his father more than he loves anything else, and he's going to judge the world. And so Paul is simply insisting, he is warning these Jews about what it would be like to reject Jesus. But notice their response, even though he's telling them truth, notice not one human being can convert another, and this is exactly what we see in verse 6. When they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and told them, your blood is on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So, so understand a couple of things there. It said resisted. Uh, I used this example in the first service. In law enforcement, if you resist arrest, that, that is nothing more than you trying to flee or pull away. That's resisting. That's not this word. This is the word that means to be hostile towards. So, so it's like a physical assaultive word. So, so they're not just disagreeing with him. They're now becoming physically threatening to him. So this is like an assault. The second part of that is, notice it said they blasphemed. Y'all remember the sin of blasphemy, right? You know, Jesus was actually charged with blasphemy. What is blasphemy? It's twofold. Blasphemy is either assigning to something deity that is not actually deity. That's what Jesus was charged with. Remember, he was constantly referring to himself as the son of man. Where do you find that term? That's in Daniel. Daniel uses the term son of man to point to the Messiah. Jesus was always talking about the son of man. And so the Pharisees said, hey, you're guilty of blasphemy because you're assigning to yourself deity. You're saying you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, it is as you say. You do understand in Greek that's a yes really loudly. It is as you say. Yeah, so you just claim to be God in the flesh. Well, that's blasphemy if you're actually not. So here's what's really ironic about that. Jesus, God the flesh, was charged with blasphemy because he claimed to be God, yet the people actually guilty of blasphemy were the Pharisees because blasphemy is also to deny deity of God. And so they actually had God standing with them and denied his deity. You do understand that exists in your world today. There are many, many people who recognize the person of Jesus but not the godness of Jesus. They don't recognize the deity of Jesus. And so these people are guilty not only of becoming hostile towards Paul, but they're also guilty of blasphemy. And so, so here's what Paul does. Paul takes off his outer coat, understanding this. It doesn't mean the same in our culture, so we don't get it. Paul takes off his outer coat because your outer coat represented the person like it was the most valuable piece of clothing you had. So, so here's what they would do. Like if I wanted to dishonor my friend Brett, I would take his outer coat off, throw it on the ground, stomp it a little bit, and spit on it. And that is like slapping it. See, in English, we got really civilized, right? I would walk up and take out my little white glove and go right across you. Yeah, we, we made it really cute. But not, not in the Hebrew culture or the Greek culture. I would take off his outer coat because that was his most precious clothing possession, throw it on the ground, stomp it for a little bit, and then spit on it. And that was my way of like just slapping him right in the face. Well, this is what Paul did to the Jews. He takes off his outer garment. He says, here's who I am. Here's the person of Paul. He shakes it off, which is symbolic of saying, I don't even want your breath on it. That's how much I despise. I don't want your breath on me. I'm out. Now, now keep in mind, though, Paul just threw in the towel, but did he quit? No, because what was the very next statement? From now on, this is after he said your blood's on your head. Remember, he's talking about judgment. So I told you about judgment. You have rejected my teaching of judgment. I shake it off. I'm out of here. Your judgment's on you. Now moving on to the Gentiles. So he didn't quit. He just changed strategy. 
So, so that's the part we're going to talk about when we get to the end of our message today. Maybe today you need to think about throwing in the towel of your current strategy, or maybe this obstacle is not worth you trying to fight and go over. Maybe you need to go a different route. And we're going to apply this to different things because God is sovereign over all things. So, so notice, though, he doesn't go far. Look at verse 7. I love this. You want to talk about a slap in the face. Here it comes. So he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. So, so this means a Greek person who hasn't converted to Judaism but worship Yahweh, whose house was next door to the synagogue. All right, so I shake my coat out all over you, and I walk 10 feet to the next house. I'm going to the Gentiles, and I'm here. I mean, this is awesome. But, but this shows you how God still works even when we have kind of walked away. Notice verse 8. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue. Y'all, this is not just any average Jew. You know, for a man to be placed over a synagogue, he had to be greatly respectable, very educated. So I just shook the dust off at the synagogue. I walked next door because I'm going to start with the Gentiles. But notice, notice this. The leader of the synagogue believed in the Lord along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. Hey, man, don't, don't miss this. This is huge. Crispus believed, pistevo, he thought to be true. Please hear me, it's not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's not an argument. It's not me having more knowledge than you. It is you thinking to be true, Jesus is Lord. But notice, it's clarified just a couple of sentences after that. It says, those Corinthians who heard, that's not the word. It is, but it's not. Okay, so, so sometimes you will say, I heard something about so-and-so. I heard, so I, I've been informed. That's not this word. This word is a kuvo in Greek, and it means able to understand. So, so, so please don't miss this. Those Corinthians who were able to understand the gospel, you, you know Paul taught it to many Corinthians, right? And many of those Corinthians rejected. So you do understand this. Just because you present the gospel does not mean a soul is going to be converted. The only people going to be converted in the presence of the gospel are those able to understand. Please hear me. I try to make everything I teach understandable, but unless God goes before me, I still can't make you understand. I mean, I work hard all week to get ready to take a biblical principle and, and try to present it to you in such a way that you could walk out of here and never be confused and know exactly what we just taught. Yet here's the thing. I can't make you hear it so you can understand it unless God does that in front of me. And so here's what the Bible is talking about once again, the same principle we just saw. Paul goes to the Gentiles, and many people end up being saved, but it's not simply because Paul showed up. It's because God with the gift of faith showed up before Paul. Because Paul, again, never led one single soul to the Lord. Not one. God did it all. Paul was just a mouthpiece. Paul was the messenger. Verse 9, the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid. Church, this is one of the greatest forms of encouragement and assurance I've ever read. Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking, and don't be silent, for I am. And, and I know in English we don't see it, but it's ego, ego, e me. And you go, okay, what's, what's that mean? Let go of my ego. What's that mean? Um, it, is, it is a way of saying I am twice. We just don't say it that way in English. We don't translate it. But in Greek, it's ego, ego, e me, meaning he is emphasizing I am with you. Don't you sweat. Don't you sweat anybody else because I am with you. And remember what God told Moses. Moses said, hey, when I go tell Pharaoh who sent me, who do I say sent me? What did he say? Tell him, I am sent you. 
And here's what he just told Paul. Paul, who was reared in the Jewish faith, he said, hey, brother, don't sweat it. I am, I am, is with you. Well, if God said it twice, it must mean something. I mean, so Paul's got some protection, right? I mean, Paul's got great secret service coverage right here. For I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this land. He stayed there a year and a half, and y'all know that's not Paul's standard. Paul was typically gone in just a number of months. He stayed there a year and a half teaching the word of God to them. But here's the thing, church, don't miss this. The assurance came after what? After Paul actually threw in the towel. And I told you it wasn't a message on quitting. But it's a message on quitting and starting back. It is once he threw in the towel and said, hey, man, this is blasphemous. This is dead end. I am changing directions. That's when God gives him the assurance. Hey, listen, man. So so here's the deal. If you're thinking about a new strategy in life, and we're going to talk about multiple different things, if it is on the path it's supposed to be on, God is going to affirm it. If God does not affirm it, let me tell you what's going to happen. Well, let me just show you. Here's what's going to happen. So if you stay with your current strategy and it is not effective and you're not seeking God to give you a change, you might as well just keep batting your head on the wall. You might as well keep arguing until you're blue in the face. You might as keep on beating your dead horse. You might as well continue to spit in the wind. And you might as well keep swimming upstream. You do understand all that's unfruitful, correct? Y'all follow me here, right? See, Paul recognized, I've got a strategy, but this strategy has turned out to be very unfruitful. But instead of quitting and saying, well, God must not have called me to this. God must not have assigned me to this. That's not what he did. He said, this strategy is not working, so I'm throwing in the towel here, but I'm starting a brand new strategy. I'm tired of swimming upstream. I'm tired of beating my head against the wall. Here's one that I added this morning that's not in the pictures here. I'm trying to swallow and breathe at the same time. Go ahead and try it at lunch if you want. Can I do it? Cannot swallow and breathe at the same time. No, don't do it because then I'll have to come do the Heimlich on you because you're going to get choked. You cannot do it. And so, so again, here's the deal. If what you're doing is unfruitful, and, and we're going to put it in context in just a moment. Remember, we're going to teach Scripture in context, but here's the context. Don't miss this. This context is about Paul witnessing to people. But let me ask you something. Is God not God over everything? So God is not just sovereign over me witnessing to people. God is not just sovereign over me people, me telling people about the gospel. God is sovereign over me even when I'm teaching at CFO. God is sovereign over me when I'm dialoguing with my wife and I'm in my chair and she's on the couch. God is sovereign over me when I'm having dinner with my family. God is sovereign over me whether I do this job or another job or enter into this friendship or ditch another friendship or continue this argument or start a brand new one. God is sovereign in every one of those moments. And so the principles that we talk about, yes, here's the context in which you learn it, but you've got to understand the principles apply because God is sovereign everywhere. And so this is a biblical truth, and here's the biblical truth. You need to determine if it's time to move on or stay. Now, now, let me throw some scenarios at you before we look at the text. Here's some scenarios. Maybe you're in a vocation, and you've been in this vocation for quite some time. But as you truly evaluate your vocation, you don't see in any way how God is using you. You have no peace in it. You have no joy in it. Yeah, you're making a living and somehow you're getting by. But when you get up every day, it makes you sick to your stomach to actually go there. Let, Let me please just very cautiously 
challenge you to think about throwing in the towel and considering something else. But let me add a disclaimer. Don't you dare quit till you get another job. We do dumb stuff as believers. Oh, God's leading me to do this, and so we just abandon whatever we've got, and all of a sudden, man, now we have no money. And I don't know why God's let me. I'm just broke. I'm sick. I to eat. Because you were dumb. Seed goes in the ground, plant comes up. Sun comes up, sun goes down. Tide comes in, tide goes out. God's very practical. If you've got a job, keep it until he gives you another one or leads you in a different direction. But maybe you do need to strategize about that. We're going to talk about some things to consider. Relationships. Please hear me. I'm dating this individual, and, and, and it is becoming more and more clear that we're, we're quite different, and this person is not quite as committed to the Lord. But you know, I, I think if we stay together, I will change him or her. Oh, golly, are you kidding me? There's only one person that exists that will change anybody's heart, and it ain't you. It is God. However, if you're in marriage, different rules apply. You don't throw in the towel. You hear me? If you're in marriage, you come see me, then I'm going to send you to see him. And we don't throw in the towel. We're just going to work harder. But some of you are not in the marriage realm yet, and y'all come to me, and you're, oh, we're just in love. And we start talking about when you came to know Jesus and how you're serving Jesus, and I start getting concerned when I start getting very different personalities and spiritual journeys. Because the Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked. And that's got nothing to do with race. That's got everything to do with spiritual maturity with lostness and being saved. And so again, maybe you need to throw in the towel where you are. Maybe educationally, same thing. Man, pastor, I'm just, man, I had this opportunity and wasn't, wasn't a whole lot of forethought went into it and I've now landed at the school and man, I'm just, I'm, I am miserable. I don't have community here. I don't really sense, sense a purpose here. Uh, what would you suggest for me? Well, stay in where you are and do your best until God opens up another door for you. But start looking. Y'all do know there's lots of other schools. And so, again, you take a biblical principle and then you apply it to where God is sovereign. Well, where is God sovereign? Everywhere. Well, I've been arguing with this friend, you know, and we're, we're really stuck on this deal about Calvinism and Arminianism. Stop. That's all I can tell you. Quit. You do know they've argued about that 1,600 years. You're not going to solve it. So quit arguing. Come to an agreement on what you can agree upon, or if you cannot agree upon anything, then stop having dialogue. Start talking to brothers and sisters you can have a relationship with. One thing you and I will not do is we're not going to argue about theology. I'm going to tell you what Scripture says, and we'll move on. And so that's how we do things. And so again, here's the deal. Determine, determine if what you're dealing with, and I had somebody right after the first service go, dude, you've got to be kidding me. Their job situation just changed, not at their own hands. Their company just closed. He's like, Oh, you got to be kidding me. This is what you had for me today? Oh, uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, I didn't know until they came to me. So, so again, some of you today are dealing with this right here. So let's talk about what the text shows us. Number one, here's what the text gives us. Attempt to work your game plan first. Whatever your game plan is, remember, you've got to have a strategy. If you want to be moving along the spiritual maturity continuum, so I'm going from immaturity to spiritual maturity, I've got to be moving along. I need a strategy. I need a strategy. Last week, we, we got to kind of the first step in the strategy. You as a Christ follower need to know what you believe. Thank you for all of you who emailed me and texted me this week and said, hey, what was the name of those books you told us about? And I gave those to you, and I had somebody even ask me this morning, hey, which one do I read first? Hey, start with this one. Follow me, by the way, in case you're looking for an order. Follow me first. It's more systematic. 
Uh, it, it makes a little more sense first. And so here's the deal. If you want to move on your continuum of spiritual maturity, you've got to know what it is you believe first. And, and so for some believers, you've been in church for years, and you still couldn't pin it down on a piece of paper what you actually believe. Well, this is going to help you. And this is going to help you reason with those people. But here's the deal. Once you get past that, and please hear me, those two books, that's the milk. Man, listen, that's the milk. Paul would then look at you and say, hey, you need to get that Grudem book because it's more theological. You need to move on. So let's get off the milk. Let's get on the meat. So we're constantly moving. And so you've got a strategy. What is my strategy? Man, I am knee-deep in Bible study. I am knee-deep in accountability. I am knee-deep in prayer. I'm plugging into my local church. I'm seeking to be a servant of the Lord. So I'm, I'm constantly moving. I've got a strategy. I'm coming up with a plan for how to defeat this sin because here's this one sin and I'm struggling. And Justin here, I've been a Christ follower 20 years and I'm still doing the same sin. Change your strategy then. It's not working. Blue in the face, head against the wall, upstream. It's not working. Change your strategy. You do understand it's absolutely insane to do the same non-productive thing day after day after day. That, that makes zero sense. Determine if it's time to move on. Change your strategy. You're like, well, I don't know how. Start talking and dialoguing with people. Talk to other believers. You do understand the Bible says there's nothing new in their son. That includes the temptations of Satan. He's not wise enough to come up with new. He just uses the same old ones. There's nothing new. Talk to some other believers. Incorporate your struggle with somebody else. Change your strategy. Get some accountability. Somebody that will help you. Number two, Utilize how God has gifted you with your experience, your skills, man, your spiritual gifts. If God is going to put you in a vocation, he is going to put you in a place where you can use all this stuff. If God has gifted you spiritually with the gift of administration and your job involves no administration, you're kind of out of place. If God's gifted you to, to be a teacher and you're not working in anything related to teaching, you're not going to have all the joy and the peace that you should have. God's created you with a design. And so maybe, maybe you need to go back and relook at the design. There's all types of spiritual surveys out there. If you can't find one, uh, just give us a call up here. We use one in our new members class. We'd be more than happy for you to kind of take it to give you just an idea of who you are spiritually. And so again, determine if it's time maybe for you to, to create a change in your journey. Decide if the obstacle can actually be overcome. Uh, again, so, some of these things, so I'm witnessing to somebody, let's say I'm talking to somebody in my family, and, and we've got this real religious issue, and, and y'all please hear me, I'm going to be very cautious here, um, because I know this exists with, within some of my own friends' families. So, so there's some true religious issue, and, and, it, and it's like, I cannot make any ground, and then my suggestion sometimes to those family members is stop, stop trying to make ground. Just love them and, and, and trust God through prayer to start changing them himself. Because please hear me, your argument will never get them there. Your argument will never change them. Only God can change a heart. My wife and I have had to come to that conclusion. There's sometimes times we, we want to see something different in our kids, and we've got three good ones, but there's sometimes we see a behavior, and we're kind of like, but we've taught them, and 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 we've taught them. And I tell her over and over again, but you can't make their heart do anything. Only God can change who they are, and she knows this. Sometimes the two of us have to remind each other that real principle. And, and, and so again, decide if it's, if it's an obstacle that you can overcome, if it's not, then maybe you want to keep trying to find a way around it and keep that together. Number four and number five go together. 
either develop a brand new game plan, which Paul did. Here's what Paul did. Towel, new game plan, next door. Oh, yeah. I mean, he went 10 feet. It was awesome. Yours may take a little longer. You may not be able to walk 10 feet. It may, it may take you a little more of a journey. It may mean a vocational change. So, so it, may, it may be something different for you. Or, or, which is sometimes much harder, stay if the Lord wants you there. Sometimes the staying is far harder than the leaving. But sometimes God wants you to keep pushing the obstacle. But Lord, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm pushing a peanut with my nose on the floor. And God says, uh-huh, keep pushing the peanut. Sometimes that's exactly what he tells you. Because he's given you experience, and he's given you skill, and a spiritual gift to be pushing that peanut with your nose. And so sometimes God wants you to stay right there. So, so here's, here's where we're going to close. This is where we're going to close. Some of you this morning, just like the person who came to me after the first service, may be going, oh my word, I cannot believe this is what you just preached. I, I'm pushing the peanut, brother. I'm pushing the peanut. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If that is you this morning, and you can so relate to this, like right now, I'm having to determine, stay or go. I'm, and it's not a bad or a good, it's just I, I've been presented an option, and it's I'm trying to figure out, stay or go. What's next on this continuum? I'm going to ask you to give the peanut to God. I'm going to ask you to give the peanut to God. Do I keep pushing? Or do I do something different? I mean, literally, you, you know what your situation is. I don't I have no clue. I had no clue about the first service individual. However, there's one more group I do want to address because I believe this text really speaks loudly to you. Don't lose sight of the fact that what started this whole thing was Paul telling the Jews, Jesus is judgment, I need to warn you. This morning, if you sit in this room and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, I would be in sin I didn't tell you, Jesus is judgment. And if you don't know him, there's going to come a day when Jesus returns or you will stand before him in your death and you're going to be judged for what you've done with him. And if the outcome is you don't know him, then for the remainder of eternity, which means it never ends, you will have suffering in a very awful real place we call hell. I have to warn you because Paul warned you. I have to warn you because it's real. But let me also close it with this thought. That same Jesus who is judgment loves you like nobody else. He is love. He is fully judgment. But he is fully love. And if today you want to start a brand new chapter in your life where you've got these types of decisions to make, Lord, are you in this? Lord, are you with me? You, will, you won't have to ask ever again if he's with you. He's with you. And you can utilize his wisdom as you make these judgments and these plans. If that is you this morning, you're interested. Hey, Justin, you know what? I, I'm, I, I'm not sure I'm actually ready, but, but could you have somebody share some information with me so I have a better understanding of what it means to enter into this, this journey with Jesus and, and avoid this judgment? Can you tell me how that happens? Yes, I can. I can't do it because we're going to be praying 
that I got some folks that'll be waiting for you. So, so when I start to pray here in a, just seconds, you're going to walk right over here where it says exit, and there's going to be some folks meet you. And that, this is all they're going to do. They're going to sit down with you with a biblical material and talk about what it means to have God as a determining, guiding factor in your world. And, and maybe you're here and you go, hey, Justin, listen, I'm ready right now. Okay, great. I need you to do the same thing. They're not going to explain anything to you. You're just going to share with them you're ready to follow Jesus today because they're going to tell you what comes next. Because believe it or not, there's a next. Yes, I follow Jesus today. That's followed by believer's baptism. That's followed by membership and involvement in a local church. You need somebody to explain that to you as well. And so maybe you need to go talk to our prayer response team, not about learning what you need to do to be saved, but hey, I am saved. What do I do next? They can help you with that as well. If, however... You know you're a Christ follower, and you're facing one of these decisions, stay or go. All I want you to do is give the peanut to God. I want you to commit this morning, Lord, I am wide open to what you're showing me. I don't care what it is, whether you ask me to stay or whether you ask me to go, I just want you to show me. Let him this morning give you clarity.